Good morning. This morning's scripture is Matthew 5, 21 to 26. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and they remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly while your adversary who is taking you to court, do it while you are still together on the way, or your adversary may hand you over to the judge and the judge may hand you over to the officer and you may be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. Thanks, Abby. Uh, welcome. Uh, if you're new to St. Clair, my name's Matt Pamplin. I'm one of the staff here at St. Clair. Before we dive into the message, I just want to say something briefly. It's kind of an announcement about something that's coming up. On February the 19th, which is a Wednesday evening, uh, from 7.30 till 9, we're having an evening called Welcoming the Stranger. And that's really going to be looking at how do we welcome those people who have arrived in our city, who may be refugees or who are newcomers to Hamilton, and how do we as a church do a, how do we as a church engage with those people and actually think about how we love them? Recently, uh, St. Clair leadership team kind of did a plotted history of how we got to the place we did. And what struck me and convicted me was in our early years, probably for the first two or three years of our journey, we were really involved in refugee ministry. And in some ways, it's not we moved away from that. There's lots of people involved. But we as a church, I think, need to reclaim that as part of the way of Jesus for us. So Alison Witt, who has lived overseas and recently has been an advocate for new arrivals to Hamilton, who works a lot with refugees, is going to be coming and sharing that evening about how we can engage with that as a church. So if that's something of interest to you, we would love to have you come out February 19th, 7.30 till 9 here at Ryerson. And we'll put some information on the Facebook page about that. If you're joining us this morning, I've met some new people this morning. We're in a ser- series on the Sermon on the Mount, looking at the words of Jesus. And as we looked ahead to this year, asking what does it mean to follow Jesus in Hamilton in 2020, it really felt to us like the Sermon on the Mount had words that were so poignant for our cultural moment. This is Jesus' manifesto to the people of God. I want to say clear this morning, and I've said it a few times, I've been reading through this daily, and it's been so deeply convicting. Because here's the thing, these aren't just nice words. Jesus isn't uh, throwing out a lovely vision that we all wave at and say, that's a really good idea. Jesus is saying, this is how we're called to live if we follow him. Stanley Hauerwas says this, whenever people are bound together in loyalty to a story that includes something as strange as the Sermon on the Mount, we are at odds with the world. You see, I think Jesus' words, while we know them, maybe as Christ followers, if you've grown up in the church, we know the words of Jesus. If you actually lay them over the culture in which we live, there's actually a lot of disparity. 
Because Jesus is saying there is a different way to be. And I think at times, myself included, the church has just adopted, almost by osmosis, the culture in which we live, and it seeps its way in. And Jesus comes along and says there's a different way and actually a better way. But here's the thing. It is not safe and it is not comfortable. This morning, Abby read these words from the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Matthew chapter 5. And this is Jesus really looking at the idea of anger and what anger can do uh, in our lives and how anger can change us. I was thinking a lot about that this week. When I grew up, my mom said that I was so laid back, I was horizontal. That's what she said about me. I've always been kind of a person who's easygoing. I don't get stressed too easily. I'm not really a grudge holder. And so I've normally had this kind of laissez-faire attitude. That's just how I function in the world other than sports. That's a different situation. But mainly I'm kind of easygoing and laid back. But what I noticed is as I got older, certain situations started to really frustrate me. You know that thing where it's that just underlying anger that on the surface in front of people you carry yourself in a certain way, but deep down you're actually a little annoyed? I'll give you a hypothetical scenario that has not happened to me three times this last week. So I was driving down Main Street of Hamilton in the second from left lane. You know where this is going, Hamiltonians. And as I was driving, the person in front of me decided they wanted to turn left. They weren't in the left-hand lane. They were in the second from left lane. Already it's bubbling up within me. And as I was driving, rather than deciding I'll wait to the next intersection and then I'll move into the left-hand lane and turn left, they just turned left. I know that's not happened to you. And I'll be honest, thank you, yes. Um, I actually was going to write to our local councillor and say, I think we need to go through the driver's ed again with a lot of people in Hamilton. And I was just deeply frustrated. I'll be honest, I think God created cars for me so we could actually deal with the things that are going on in my soul. And I say that and it's somewhat humorous because actually it dissipates. But what happens when you come into contact with someone, you receive an email, you see a Facebook post, someone messages you and the anger doesn't go away. There's just this thing that starts to bubble. And actually, I love the word, like you become almost seething, but on the surface, you're very kind and polite. How do we respond to that anger that, if we're honest, is all around us? I talk about it a lot, but when we go online, I just see an angry world. Like everyone just seems to be angry about everything. What was really interesting to me was recently there was the Australian fires that were going on. There was crisis in the Middle East. There were Nigerian Christians being persecuted. And all the stuff I could read online were about how Harry and Meghan were leaving the royal family and moving to Canada. And the anger associated with that, I'm English and I didn't care. But a lot of people really started to care about that. And here's what I've noticed. In any relationship, nuance has disappeared. It's black or white, we're for you or against you. And if you're not on our side, we actually just write you off altogether. But into this world in which we live, Jesus of Nazareth appears with, I think, some hopeful words for us. Let's look at the scripture if you have a Bible. I've said it before, it's always good to bring to church. 
but it may well be on the screen, which is helpful. We're going to look at what Jesus says, Matthew chapter 5, verse 21. You have heard it said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. So you're sitting here and listening, or the people listening to the Sermon on the Mount in Galilee are like, tracking with you, Jesus, not murdering people. I feel good. You can all go home, St. Clair. Um, maybe you haven't murdered anyone. But Jesus goes on, and it's really interesting. He starts with, you have heard it said, which a lot of rabbis in Jewish culture are saying, there's this law in the Old Testament that you've heard, but I'm a rabbi here, and I'm interpreting that. So you've heard it said, do not murder. We all feel good about that. But I tell you, so Jesus is now going to say there's a new way of following God. But I tell you, anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Interesting, Jesus is saying the same judgment for a murderer will be used for people who are angry with one another. He says brother and sister. So he's actually talking a lot of the time, we might say to people in a church community, He's not saying people outside, he's saying those that you do life with, maybe your missional family or people on a Sunday morning. So a brother or sister, if you're angry with them, you'll be subject to judgment. Now, I want to give a bit of context that's really important here. We may not be people who think about murder, but what Jesus is doing here is murder starts somewhere. And there's a progression that actually takes place. See, previous to this, verse 20, Jesus had says, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you'll not enter the kingdom of heaven. And here's what Jesus is saying here. The Pharisees look at behavior. So we would say, well, I'm not murdering. There's not this behavior that's present. But what Jesus of Nazareth always does, he says, but what?" under the surface because someone who murders starts off somewhere and here's where the progression is jesus goes on to say again anyone who says to a brother or sister raka you know who you are this morning you've been saying raka regularly this week is answerable to the court and anyone who says you fool will be in danger of the fire of hell a couple of things, we'll talk about hell and the fire of hell in a moment. But what we do know is anger seems to be really important to Jesus. His words are pretty strong this morning when we think about this underlying anger. So Jesus says, anyone who says raka, and in that culture, that word meant dull or empty-headed. He goes on saying, anyone who says you fool, which is the Greek word moro, which is where we get the word moron from. And actually, that's throughout the Old Testament. So Jesus says, anyone who says those words will be subject to judgment. It's interesting. We'll talk about this right at the end. Jesus uses the word moro again at one point in the Sermon on the Mount. And it's right at the very end. And we'll talk about that later. But when we're talking about anger, what is Jesus getting at? I heard someone say recently that anger is a feeling or emotion that rises up when our will is thwarted. Or we could say it stops what we want to happen from happening. 
So when we don't get our own way or something doesn't go as planned, it's this feeling or emotion that rises up. Now, some of you will say, is all anger bad? What about righteous anger? And I do think when we think about anger, there is a category of anger when we see oppression and injustice and something that isn't right in our world and something gets us going. And that is often a godly anger when we see that. We think this is not how things are meant to be. But the question is how we channel that. And Jesus here is talking about a specific kind of anger. So there seems to be two words for anger in the Greek. One is just this, like I talked about driving down Main Street, something that just seems to be an initial annoyance. You know, this doesn't happen in our house, but when someone puts the milk jug back in the fridge and it's actually empty, but they still put it back in the fridge, not blaming anyone in the Pamplin household, uh, or something when your kids put their cereal bowl in the sink. There's this like initial ang- frustration that goes away. But Jesus is using the second word for anger here, which seems to be this simmering or bubbling or something that seems to fester. You know, when someone says something to you and they're criticizing you and your initial response is not love and joy, but anger that starts to simmer. Jesus here is getting at something beyond the surface. There's probably lots of good practices for us, you know, like take 10 seconds to just calm and breathe. But Jesus is really getting at what is going on beneath the surface. See, I think Jesus is realizing that anger can start to lead to contempt. And that's a word I think about a lot. I see that a lot in our culture. When we get angry and then it leads to contempt and contempt is saying, I'm better than you. Maybe I see you as intellectually inferior because of your argument or why you believe this. And so I'm actually now just going to write you off because I'm so frustrated with you. Dallas Willard says this, most churches are measuring the wrong things. We measure things like attendance and giving, but we should be looking at more fundamental things like anger. Paul carries on this theme of Jesus throughout the New Testament when he's actually writing to different churches. Here's what Paul says in Colossians chapter 3 to the church. And the background for this is he's saying we, when we come to Jesus, we put off our old self and we put on a new self. And he actually uses the language of dying and he talks about clothing ourselves, which is the idea of rising. Some woman said the whole of the Christian journey is dying and rising. But this is what Paul says to the community there. But now you must also rid yourself of all such things as these. Look at what he starts with. Anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you've taken off your old self with its practices and you have put on a new self which is being renewed in the knowledge of the image of its creator. He says the same or very similar words to the church in Ephesus as well. He's saying we put off our old way of living and one of those things is anger because Paul knows that affects how we live every day. Jesus goes on to say, anyone who says you fool will be in danger of the fire of hell. 
Now, we hear the word hell, and we have different ideas or connotations that come to mind, particularly depending on which church background you grew up in. But a bit of context here. Jesus is saying there's this place culturally at the time called hell. So on the south side of Jerusalem, there was this valley called Gehenna, which is what we know as the word hell. And historically, someone was taken to that valley, or often children were taken to be sacrificed. So he's definitely not a place you want to go. It's a pretty evil place. And at the time of Jesus, it had become like a huge rubbish dump where people burnt all of their refuse outside of the city. It was this place that is constantly burning with, I was going to say rubbish, that's so English, with garbage. And Jesus is saying, this is not a place you want to go. But what had happened was, in that Jewish culture, Gehenna, or hell, was a word that was used for the coming judgment of the world, but also for the present judgment of today, because it was this rubbish dump that was burning. And so here's what Jesus is saying. If you have this anger and you say these things about people, there's a present reality that is taking place, that something bad is going on within you, and you need to figure this out and get right. Let's have a moment of honesty before we uh, talk a bit more and finish the message. As we think about this, particularly about Jesus' language of brother or sister and community in which we live, if I say this morning, do you have anger and frustration with someone? Some of you who are lovely people who love Jesus a lot may not, this may not relate to you, but some of us We know when we think about that, a person or a situation that comes to mind. And yet we may not have this overarching, I want to kill them, but we just know that there's something simmering or annoying. And when we think of them or the name gets mentioned, something arises within us. So how do we resolve this anger? The beautiful thing about Jesus of Nazareth is he's deeply practical. He goes on, verse 23. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and and you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. Jesus is actually being humorous, and because we don't know the background, we don't fully get it. But here's what's going on. Jesus is teaching this message from Galilee. So he's saying, say you're in Galilee, and you go to Jerusalem, because that's where the altar was for Jewish people, which was probably a 60 to 80, I think 60 to 80 mile walk to get there. So you go, you get your animal that you're going to take to the altar as your gift. You go all the way to Jerusalem. You're about to offer your gift and you realize, I have a problem with Bob back in Galilee. Jesus is saying, before you offer it, you walk back 60 to 80 miles to reconcile your relationship before you then come back to Jerusalem to offer your gift. And most of you are thinking, that sounds absolutely ridiculous. That seems like a whole lot of effort. And to be honest, pretty annoying. And that's why Jesus is saying it. 
Because it will be effort and it will be hard and it will be deeply sacrificial. But what Jesus is saying is, before you come and offer your gift to God, you need to reconcile with your brother or sister. And here's why. Our relationship with God is deeply connected to our relationship with other people. See, I think at times in the church, myself included, we have this relationship with God and we love to almost silo it. It's just me and Jesus. I'm right with him. But Jesus continually, here in the Sermon on the Mount, says our walk with God is connected to how we interact with other people. In fact, Jesus might even say this. I think he might do. Love God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. See, I stop there, and this is what he goes on to say, and love your neighbor as you love yourself. Here's why this is frustrating teaching to me. Cognitively, we get it. But deep down in our very soul, there seems to be a disconnect. See, we'll walk away from this this morning, and we know that we have to deal with our anger and get right with God. But the question is, are we actually going to live it and walk it out? See, pastorally, over the years, what I've realized in myself and other people in church, I'll say Big C Church, is we're just not good at relationships. See, if we have a problem, this is just from my experience, maybe this isn't you. Normally what happens in church is if we have a problem with someone and we're frustrated, here's what we do lovingly, we just don't talk about it and we just leave. People just walk away. Because actually being reconciled is really hard. Over the years, I've seen so many people who start to drift away and all of a sudden they're not present. And I say to them, what was it? And it's normally, oh, you know, there's a bunch of different reasons. And there may well be a bunch of different reasons, but often it's something that's happened and no one's actually willing to talk about it. And here's what Jesus is saying. To mature and grow up in the kingdom and be a mature disciple, we have to get this right. And this is why it's important. No one else is doing it. What if the followers of Jesus actually were able to set an example on relationship reconciliation? Here's what I want to say. It doesn't mean always agreeing with them. It doesn't say, yeah, you can continue to be mean and hurtful to me. But I think it does involve taking a step to try and be reconciled. See, Will said it beautifully about missional family. I think often we want the commitment of relationship, but we don't want the effort that's involved. I think it's Doug Veenster, a dear friend of mine, who says, uh, if there's not something now about me that annoys you, you don't know me well enough. So when, when we're in relationship with each other, it's actually difficult and challenging. Desmond Tutu says this, When we see others as the enemy, we risk becoming what we hate. When we oppress others, we end up oppressing ourselves. All of our humanity is dependent upon recognizing the humanity in others. So I think this morning Jesus would say to us, it's not we won't get angry. Jesus seems to say that. We'll get frustrated. The question is what we do with it when that happens? Are we willing to bring it before God and be reconciled to our brother or sister? 
I'll close with a couple of things. One is, I've read this a few times, but it has so impacted me. I'm going to read it again for you. It's a vow of stability that I found from the Order of the Mississippi Abbey. It's from this group of nuns. It's got to be great. Nuns wrote it. So that I found that in some ways, I've never asked St. Clair to have this as a rule of life because I think it's, well, I look at it and think, I don't know if I could do that. But I do think it's something we should be thinking about and almost something to aspire to. This is what it says. We vow to remain all of our life with our local community. We live together, pray together, work together, relax together. We give up the temptation from, move, from moving from place to place in search of an ideal situation. Ultimately, there is no escape from oneself, and the idea things would be better somewhere else is usually an illusion. And when interpersonal conflicts arise, we have a great incentive to work things out and restore peace. This means learning the practices of love. I love that. This means learning the practices of love, acknowledging one's own offensive behavior, giving up one's preferences and forgiving. What if that was a vision that was held out in front of us as St. Clair? I'm going to wrap this up by saying this. Jesus says the word you fool or moron here and how we should think about that and not use that language in how we interact with someone. But ironically, Jesus uses that word right at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. He says this, and he tells this little parable. Anyone who hears my words and puts them into practice is like a wise man who builds his house on the rock so when the storms of life come, it's able to stand. But the foolish man, the morrow, is the one who would hear my words and not put them into practice. See, Jesus is saying, knowing what he says has to go with how we're called to live. They've got to be congruent together. And the beautiful thing about these words of Jesus is that it's not just all our own effort. Each week we come to the table, which is the place of reconciliation. See, Jesus knows we need to be reconciled to him and recognize we cannot save ourselves. But Paul says when we come to the table, when he's writing Corinthians, we actually need to be in right relationship with one another before we come to the table. But we remember that we cannot just forgive people in our own strength. We need the power of the Holy Spirit and the work of Jesus to transform us in order to forgive. Uh, just as we're worshiping together, I was thinking about those haunting words of Jesus as he closes the Sermon on the Mount. But the beauty of Jesus is if you're feeling like you have this anger this morning, he is able and willing to receive that and forgive you. This happens directly after the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 8. When Jesus came down from the mountain, large crowds followed him. A man with leprosy came and kneeled before him and said, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man and said, I am willing. And that is the invitation of Jesus, that if we come, he is willing to receive us, even in our most angry, frustrated place. There's always availability in the kingdom.
Each week we close uh, with a benediction. And so I'm going to follow on the passage I read earlier from Colossians. I'm just going to say these words over you, St. Clair. I think it's a bit of who we're called to be. And a benediction is just a blessing that I'm going to say. So hear these words, family and friends of St. Clair Community Church. Therefore, as God's holy chosen people, dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if you have a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And all over all these virtues put on love, which binds them together in perfect unity, grace, and peace.